0: What's up, everybody out there and listening, we are back. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, and this is episode 41. We've got another great episode for you this week. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Fustolo, is back again. This time, not as co-host duties, but co-host to co-host duties. And I'm excited to have him back. And so, Steve, what's going on? Joe, thanks for joining us.
1: Welcome, Joe. Another great session of Best and Masters. We've got quite a few topics to go into. How's your day?
2: My day is great. Busy day. Right after this, I go one after another, and I won't end till 10.
1: Oh, man. Yes. (laughs) So let's get into it, right? Let's do it. We've got quite a few of these topics to go into. So let me introduce the first one. The first one is a little different than what we've done in the past, in the sense that it's not an exact top thread, but it's kind of a compilation of multiple threads. Joe kind of mentioned the idea of doing possibly something about appraisals. We had a fantastic podcast with an appraiser slash realtor last week, so we didn't want to go too deep into appraisals in general. But there is something specific out there that we didn't talk about in the world of appraisals and a program in general, and that is VA financing. I can't tell you how many times in the past few months I've heard complaints from agents and veterans that are working with our team in general about this program and how challenging it is from stem to stern and by that i mean it's challenging to get the offer accepted we had true story a veteran who wrote 14 15 offers and wow. before he finally got one accepted but the challenges don't stop there then you have this appraisal process that is so unique it's a completely different process than any other appraisal it is run by the, the department, the VA department. All the appraisers are, are veterans themselves. They tend to be a little bit policey in their mentality, kind of like, Hey, I'm, I'm protecting mothership, which is the VA. I'm looking for safety issues. I'm looking for challenges. I'm looking for problems. And beyond being policey and causing a lot of grief in that regards, oftentimes, which has given the program a, a kind of a bad rap. Amongst listing agents, they also now are taking – we're seeing upwards, and there's been complaints about this in the master's group. They're they're taking upwards of six weeks or so to turn these appraisals. So, hence, adding more challenges to getting these offers accepted, which just – has really, really made this a, a challenging program. And, you know, a lot of the threads and a lot of the comments are, these are veterans, these were patriots, these were people that fought for our country. Why should they be going through this process? What's your guys' take on that? Joe, how do you to kick it off?
2: Well, it's true. Uh, the VA appraisers are out 45 days. I've heard cases of taking 60 days. And I have this mantra, it's about communication and setting expectations and setting a precedence. And this is between both brokers and both respective parties. If you accept a VA offer, the listing agent needs to let their seller know realistic timelines. And this is part of it. You don't go to a fine dining restaurant and expect, you know, fast food delivery in two minutes. If you accept a VA offer, it might take 45 days or 60 days for an appraisal. That's all part of it. And you need to factor that into your decision. It's unfortunate that, you know, I have huge respect for vets and they're going out there fighting for us with the ultimate sacrifice of potentially their lives. And. They're trying to use their benefits and they can't do it because they're getting steamrolled by other loans and the VA process is not where it should be. Hopefully this long appraisal timeline will counterbalance itself in the next year to two.
0: I think they have like limited number of appraisers, right? Because I actually met the guy randomly two weeks ago. When we were looking at a, a double lot in Southwest Portland, that the guy that owned it happened to be one of the VA appraisers that does basically from Portland all the way to the coast. And so they're spread really thin. I mean, he told me how many miles he drove a year and it was insane, like ridiculous, which leads me to believe that, you know, they just don't have that many appraisers that are hooked up and approved with the VA because he said all he does is VA work at this point. So. I would imagine it probably runs like any other big government organization, which is that they have moderately okay people in there and not enough of them, so it you know it adds to the turn times. Plus, you know, like me and Steve had a conversation with a great appraiser last week. I don't think you can up your fees with VA, right? They don't treat it the same way, so you no can't get fees. any sort of expedited service. Whereas, yep. you know, in the conventional market you can pay more and get it done quicker. So it kind of, you know, that's a nice feature, some people would argue, where you can't get that with VA. So you're just a number, right? It's like Mm -hmm. going to the DMV, which Mm -hmm. obviously sucks.
1: And here's another point, guys. This isn't the only problem the VA is having. I mean, arguably, this is the least of their problems because, I mean, there's been scandal after scandal of hospitals that have issues, that have long waiting periods for these people who oftentimes were injured in, in the line of duty, there's been scandals about paperwork and all sorts of stuff. I mean, I just, while we were sitting here, I Googled VA problems and scandals, and <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff out there from in the Washington Post and, and various other news organizations. So one could argue that this isn't, you know, probably where they have their highest priority. Maybe a person who is missing a limb and can't get into a doctor's appointment to get some therapy or some rehab going is going to be a little bit higher priority for the department. But that said, it is something that the VA could fix if they wanted to and had the the means to I mean a couple things i mean they they would have to staff up obviously as we talked about on the appraisers. The other thing the reason it's so challenging getting these VA transactions accepted is because they're a hundred percent financing and oftentimes. The buyer slash borrower has no money of their own. So in this crazy market, if the appraisal comes in low, there's one person and only one person who's absorbing that difference, and it's the seller. So when you have any type of multiple offer situation, you're just going to automatically gravitate towards the person who has skin in the game and an ability to bridge a difference in appraised value. I I think they're also very like – just sorry to cut you off, Steve, but –
0: I think it's important people know, aren't they very limited to exactly how far they can go away from the subject property to pull comps? Doesn't it doesn't have to be within a half mile.
1: It very well could be. I, I, think, I can't speak definitively to that.
0: I thought but, that was one of the challenges back in my loan days. That it,
2: And uh, as yeah. well as the time closed, they yeah. can't yeah. go beyond three months or six months closed. Yep.
1: The last thing I'll say about that real quick is if the VA really, really wanted to fix this and really, really wanted to step up and help the veterans, I know there's some risks here, and I'm not saying this is a no-brainer, but it's a conversation that could be had. They could change their loan program to be you know, up to 110% of appraised value. If they did that with one fell swoop, immediately those offers would look much more interesting. And I get there's downside risk to that. But a lot of times in these threads, you hear agents making it sound like the sellers are the bad guy because they're not taking that VA loan. And by golly, that veteran fought for this country and you should forego some money and take their offer and prioritize them over the person with, you know, a hundred grand down. I'm only saying that suggestion of the 110% financing. To turn the tables and say, okay, VA, if you hold the power to do this too, you hold the power to fix these people too, and yes, maybe you'll forego some money in the process, but you know it's too easy of a target just to say a seller was a bad guy and, he, and he's not patriotic because he didn't take a VA loan over some other more attractive offer. Yeah, I mean at the end of
0: the day, you get five offers in, right? You get conventional, you get, or let's say you get hot, you know, 50% down conventional, you get 10% down conventional, you get an FHA and you get a VA. Well, how do you rank them? VA probably is right there at the bottom with FHA really. So you can't blame people for not taking the offer. It it just, you know, all things being equal and even not equal. You got to think about that as a seller, because like you said, Steve, appraisal comes in low. You can't close on time you know, these are things you got to think about. So, I mean, I understand where sellers are coming from for sure. Cause I am one, I mean, I've sold to VA buyers in the past and it's been a while, but they actually went pretty smooth. But nowadays, you know, obviously we have the appraisal issue. So that pushes things out. And when you're counting on moving and money and an appraiser says, well, I can't get to it for six weeks. You're like, what the F, you know? So
1: let's move on to the next one, Joe, you want to talk about you the bet. short window one?
2: Yeah. So June 14th, Posted by Leslie Like, how many of you write offers with a two to four hour window for responses? Have you had more or less success with it? What do you think?
1: Steve-O? Okay,
2: so there was a lot of
1: comments about this one. It was real quick, right out of the shoot for the thread to say, no, that's terrible, that's bad. How dare they? That's rude to the seller. Now, I get that it can be. And I think it requires a conversation. I mean, there needs to be communication clearly between the two agents, like, is that even feasible? And maybe an explanation of the objective the buyer has in this. They're not trying to be rude or, you know, assuming in this process that that they're available or that they're willing to do so. There was also some great points made about, well, the sellers are being rude in other regards and they're going to the other extreme. Some of these sellers, there was one comment where a seller had had their house on the market for a week. They got one offer and one offer only at full price, and they said we want to wait another week to see what happens. I mean, how are they being any better than than this? Is part of the question, and I kind of get it, guys. I mean, the the buyers out there have had their butts kicked for the last couple years, and we've seen it. We've seen it firsthand. We we've seen the market and how the sellers hold all the cards, and sometimes they're they're borderline abusive with that, in that they take advantage of it. So I also can get why a buyer. If it's Friday and they're aggressive, they need a house for whatever reason, maybe they just started looking, maybe they've been looking for six months, but they've decided, I got to get me a house. I can see where a buyer on Friday doesn't want to just write one offer and then sit tight with a 48-hour expiration and say, okay, hopefully by Sunday night I get good news. If not, I'll go write another offer and sit tight for another 48 or 72 hours. Which brings up a question that I think you're going to be posting here, Tucker, and we won't go into it, but, you know, should buyers be writing multiple offers themselves? Should they be writing two offers on different houses? And you brought up that question. I think it's a great one to get on a different thread. But, yeah, so I kind of get it. What about you guys?
0: Well, I think that we'll dive into my other thread next time because I'm sure it'll be juicy. But in terms of this time, let's just talk about writing offers with short windows of acceptance. And Joe can give us his two cents here after a quick little rundown from me. So let's say a buyer writes an offer Friday night, Saturday, something like that. I understand the short window of acceptance because people, like you said, Steve, they're sick and tired of getting their butts kicked out there, right? And so they think that maybe this pushes the seller to accept it before more offers come in, or they just get overwhelmed with clutter and offers and ideas of more money and whatever. You know, here's how I see it. I think it would be completely irresponsible for a listing agent to accept an offer over the weekend in a short window of acceptance like that if they cannot fully vet the buyer. And when I say fully vet the buyer, one of our processes is, we call the loan officer every time we want to validate that that pre-approval letter isn't complete and total garbage because you and I, well, we all know that there, you know, not all loan officers are created equal. And there are some extreme idiots in this business, just like there are some extremely good people all across the board, builders, realtors, loan officers, title people, whatever. And so we make it a standard protocol to call, talk to the loan officer, verify the pre-approval letter verify as much as we can about the fact that the loan officer has done their job right and if the person's self-employed they have actually looked at two years of tax returns they've looked at their year-to-date profit and loss they're not just taking a number that was written down on the application or not looking at this year's profit and loss because that obviously factors into the rolling average of their income so there's things that are beyond the offer that have to be addressed if you're really doing your job right and looking out for your client before you can accept an offer like that. Now, if it's cash and they send over proof of funds, which they should, if it's cash and if they want a two-hour acceptance, well, hell, there you go. Bam. Easy peasy, right? But if you expect a two-hour acceptance and the listing agent cannot get a hold of third-party loan officer to talk to them over that period of the weekend, which a lot of times people are not available, I don't think you can hold them to that. I think it would be irresponsible to accept it. But Joe, what's your thoughts?
2: First, talk about kind of my strategy for listings. If I list something in a sexy part of town and it's a great price, and I usually try and launch on Friday in the morning around 10 AM. That way all the syndicates get tickled out there in Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com land. And if I know I'm going to get multiple offers, I try and put a timeline for Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning. And that does many things. That runs the full weekend for my sellers, makes them happy. And it gives me the opportunity to have a broker's open house. So the buzzwords on this thing for me is always communication. You know, if you're the listing agent and the selling agent, have good communication. Another buzzwords are realistic and reasonable timelines. And what defines realistic and reasonable is that no one wants to be leveraged, right? If you list something on Friday at 10, The first person that looks at it, sees it at noon, writes an offer and says, okay, this expires at two because if we don't get it, we're going to buy another house. That's not fair to the seller. I have recently just gotten contract with someone. They were on the market and they got an offer after about a week's time. And once they got that offer, that's when they set their deadline and they set it out about a week. And what it did is basically pissed off the people that wrote the offer and they pulled it. We submitted our offer and it got accepted. So the buyer doesn't want to get leveraged like, here's my offer, you're going to hold it out there like a big juicy steak for everyone else to come in. But the seller doesn't want to snub themselves because you have to give everyone ample time to check it out with their buyer. I mean, no matter what you do these days, someone's pissed at you, right? If if you accept the offer right out of the gate, there's a million brokers who are mad that you didn't give them the opportunity to show it over the weekend and So
1: true.
2: And vice versa, if you don't accept it quickly enough, then they're mad at you for leveraging. So Absolutely. It's all about communication, realistic, reasonable timelines and making sure no one's leveraged on either side.
1: Yeah. Hey, and I've got one last thing to add here. And I'm not saying that this should be done across the board. What I'm kind of saying is it is a club in your golf bag that may have a time and place to be used. I've seen it used effectively. It's been used on us. Buyers will come in first day on the market on a listing. They come super strong on an offer that expires that night at midnight. And the sellers have scratched their head and gone, you know what? Bird in the hand is better than five in the bush. We don't know what the weekend brings. And if these people are seriously going to walk away from this without us accepting it quickly, then we're not willing to risk that. So it can work. I do agree communication is best. I think a conversation should be had between the buyer's agent. Just something along the lines of, hey, here's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to give you a super, super strong offer. It's going to have a fairly short expiration. Are your sellers around More than anything, that's that's what it comes down to because you could be just wasting a lot of time if, if that's not even feasible. So there you have it. Yeah, I think that's a good point to leave it on. So let's move yep. on. I like
0: it. Let's see. The next one is – Steve, why don't you take this one and read it, and then we can go from there.
1: So this one was posted by Matt Clays, and it says, When did it become the norm to email every price update, new listing, open house, et cetera, out of the entire RMLS? I receive emails all day long from brokers from all companies telling me about their new listings or details and changes to such. If we were all to do this to each other, the results would be disastrous. I understand that we're in sales and we're supposed to promote our listings, but doesn't RMLS do this on their own? Is this just a standard practice now? Should I get on board and start doing it also? So it's, it's basically talking about the e-blasts, and I think Joe called it e-bomb, email bombing. And it's a very valid point. And I think there's a lot of different schools of thought and opinions on it. I'd love to hear Joe's.
2: Go. So people who are repeat offenders and email bomb me all the time get blocked. (laughs) It's that simple. Now, I opt in for a lot of things like the PMAR Google groups. I opt in. Every once in a while, I get an email that I see something, hey, this will go live on Friday and it's Wednesday and you know about it in advance. That's terrific. I recently called a person who sent me the same house about eight times. I called her and I said, gosh, I understand you're trying to do your job, but I have seen the same house about eight times within a two-week period. And I said, I know it's there. Please stop waterboarding me with this friggin' house. <laughs> and then I called PMAR and told them, too. And, you know, she apologized and we had kind of a good conversation. She didn't think of me as a jerk and I didn't think of her as an annoyance. It was just kind of passing along good information.
1: You must not have talked long
2: enough then. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> so I welcome listing updates, but there's two pet peeves I have. And I warn my buyers when I set a prospect profile, and realtors who go in Friday and they do a data change and they change it from fabulous view to gorgeous view and then they save it. They changed an adjective, it registers as a data change in the remarks and it kicks it out to those people that match. Or the people that do the one dollar price reduction. Oh, know, those on are my Friday. favorite. Yeah. I hate it's those. like that's not fair, it's terrible, stop it. If there was a way to block you from life, I would, but I can't. So
0: there should be that button maybe there
2: should be that yeah it should be a trigger yeah but another pet peeve is when you do send this out even if you don't email bomb people when you send it out for the love of god please make it complete don't send out the listing to realtors like the same thing you send out to buyers right The Realtors need to know what the price is. They don't want to call for a price. They need to know what the ML number is. They need to know the city and the address and all these other things. So please identify what you put on your perma flyer for the general public is not the same thing you put for Realtors in marketing your listing. The Realtor side needs to be more complete if you want to make it easy for them to know what you're doing and keep your emails at a minimum. That's it.
0: Yeah, that's probably a good way to go about it. I don't get as much of this as you guys, but I do get added to people's databases because they think that I'm interested in whatever it is they're selling. And generally speaking, when people are email bombing, it's usually not a very good deal, right? So they're pushing something that's probably overpriced. Maybe it has some challenges to it, and they're just trying to get it as much exposure over and over again as possible, whether it be RMLS or otherwise. That's what I've seen. If it's a good product at a good price – you don't need to email blast everybody and their mother. People will find it and you'll sell it.
1: Yeah, so I have a pretty balanced approach on this one, guys. First of all, I do send out listings. It can be abused for sure. And Joe, the the gal that sent it to you eight times in two weeks was abusing it tremendously. Here's kind of a couple takes I have on it. In using it responsibly. First of all, it is a part of my listing presentation and I did see somebody else mention this on the thread. So I go into the seller and I say, look, you know, part of what we're going to do here, we have this entire marketing program, but part of what we're going to do is within, in conjunction with taking you on the market, we're going to send it out to the f- nearest 4,000 agents. A lot of people on the thread were saying, well, I delete it, and I never pay attention to it, so therefore it must never work. And, and other agents were saying, well, I sometimes have paid attention to it, and I've actually seen houses that I wasn't aware of. So here is what I would say to that. A lot of what we do doesn't work every time. Let me give you an example. I mean, have we ever had an open house where we didn't sell the house from the open house? Do we leave there and go, gosh, I'm never doing another open house. It didn't work that time. Or say you do a mailer Maybe just a marketing mailer to try to get new listings, send a thousand of them out. If you don't get a thousand new listings, do you assume that was a failure? I mean, heck, if you get one new listing off that, you're thrilled and you think that is the best thing since sliced bread. So somebody saying, well, I never look at mine doesn't mean nobody ever looks at theirs. Here's another thing I'll say about this. In this day and age, I think that can be so much better than a broker's open. I don't ever do broker's opens with few exceptions. And I know there's a school of people out there, a group of people that do, and they have a different thought process. I think it's very old school. Here's me at a house. Okay. So I've got a buyer. I go to this house. I see it. I'm like, Hey, this works for my buyer. What do I do? Do I pick up the phone and describe it to them? Maybe I send them the listing, but How was that efficient for the one house that I saw that worked for that buyer? How many did I have to look at that didn't work for anybody I know in this day and age? I think a well-placed email out to thousands of agents that has great components attached to it, like the 3D showcase, like some great photos, a, a nice video, and is in a format that they can quickly forward to a buyer who that may speak to is so much more efficient than a broker's open. That's how I compare the two things. Now, that said, I don't think you should do it more than once. I think when you first hit the market, you should do it once. Better yet, do it in conjunction with going on the market. I use a program. I don't try to figure this out myself. I've learned a lot about the success of this from a company called Mondo Flyers. I actually spoke with one of the owners over there. His name's Pardner, believe it or not, last week. And we're working with our company to to get a program in place to do this for our agents. And he's quick to say, man, if if you're the day before you hit the market, you're going to get so many more opens than if you do it, you know, a week after you hit the market. So they've got the formula down. We like them. I think there's a, a right way to do this, but it definitely is abused. So to Matt's point, it is abused out there and it shouldn't be done multiple, multiple times for any one house. Agreed. Agreed. There you go. Cool. Moving on to the next one, guys. Should we do the
0: abusive client post? Yeah, yeah.
1: You want to lead that one? or Sure,
0: let me pull it up here. All right, so it looks like Melissa Hartfield posted this on June 14th. Sad to be asking this, but what can we do about abusive clients? I've never encountered this before. Most of my clients become friends. She's a very unhappy (coughs) person. I feel vulnerable as a licensed professional. Not sure what she's capable of. Thank you. Sounds like she's got a real crazy on her hands, but Steve, why don't you, uh, why don't you go, uh, give us your opinion and then, uh, we'll, or, you know, Joe, whichever one you guys want to kick in first year.
2: Go for it, Joe. Well, the right answer is dump them immediately. You could even refer them with a little asterisk next to their name and warn that <laughs> broker that, Hey, uh, I don't have time for this person and, and they're challenging and, you know, here's your mission. If you choose to accept it, that's the easy answer. The difficult one is when they have time release crazy, and that is you're in contract, and it's been two weeks, and then crazy showed up, and it's making up for lost time.
0: <laughs> the personal so, representative is gone, right? Yeah,
2: so you are in bed with this person, and you know, you're know you obligated. You really can't walk from them, but if they're really crazy or they're threatening or abusive, there's nothing that says you can't punt. And that's something that you can dump onto your probably not very appreciative principal broker who can take this thing into the end zone or help it blow up one way or another, get resolve from this whole thing. But hands down in both cases, do not work with bad people. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And if you see crazy That's just scratching the surface because everyone kind of tries to play nice at the beginning. So as you get into it, it will just come out bigger and stronger. So dump them while you're not obligated. And if you are obligated in contract, still dump them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you, Joe. I think whenever and wherever possible, you should try to observe these traits early on and get out and get away. That isn't always possible. In fact, I've learned... Along the way, that when money starts to become real and on the line, that kind of brings out the worst. So, in other words, you know, you're listing the house, you're creating marketing, they're all giddy. They're like, oh, that's so pretty and that looks great and you're doing so good. And then all of a sudden, an offer comes in. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, a lot of times we're not seeing this when it's multiple offers and they're over asking price, but on maybe a slower listing and an offer comes in, and then you just start to see a different side of people. Now, this case that she's talking about here is an extreme one, and I have had these. This happens to everybody, and it is tough. And when you're neck deep into the transaction, there was a lot of talk on this thread about, well, just fire her, just fire her, get away from her, don't deal with it. Well, I'm with Joe. You can't just do that. I mean, that isn't a logistical thing to do, and, and it can cause you some problems. I mean, from a licensing standpoint, if you just shut down and say, I'm not working with you anymore, and I'm going to ignore this offer that's on the table and in escrow, I mean, that, there's not a mechanism to do that. Some of the best advice I saw in this thread was, and I loved it, have someone on the phone with you during your conversations, preferably probably your principal broker. If it gets to the point where they are incredibly abusive and they're just tearing you apart, tell them, I don't feel comfortable anymore talking to you alone. I'm going to conference in my principal broker for every conversation. I bet that neutralizes things to some extent. At the very least, the principal broker can can chime in as needed and say, "Hey, hey, you're you're out of line. That is not an acceptable way to talk to my person." I think that's a great idea. I will tell you, being on a team, I've benefited from that over the years. When this happens, it's one of the things I love about being on a team is you're never alone in this situation. For one, if nothing else, you have people that are sounding boards. You can get off the phone, you can vent to them, and you say, "I can't believe what happened." Listen to this, and it just makes you feel better in those situations that you're not. It's not you against the world, and this person. Oftentimes, with a team, we'll have two of us on the phone, me and one of my listing agents or on the buy side buyers agent. So it does help to involve other people in the transaction when possible.
0: Yeah, I think that you're probably right about that. I would say that this seems to happen probably more to the softer personalities maybe out there. You know, we both of us were on the the loan side of the business for a while, Steve, and, At this point, I'm on that side of the business where I just don't really have to be nice if I don't want to anymore, which is kind (laughs) of nice. I I like that. You know, I used to have to be nice to everybody all the time because we were, you know, it's just the nature of the game. It's quite freeing to basically be able to tell somebody they're an a-hole when they're an a-hole. It really is. But beyond that, you know, I think that sometimes people like to push Harder with people they know they can get away with it with. You know, they like to say things that maybe they wouldn't say to people that, you know, kind of set the precedent or the bar in terms of, you know, how you should interact. My guess is that the gal who, who posted this is probably a very nice woman and she probably just got hooked up with a very angry um, lady that just has a lot of unhappiness in her life. And so she's kind of taking it out on her. So, you know, I think if you are going to take on a client like this, and from what I can remember back in the day and what I would do now, is you just kind of have to you know, draw the line in the sand. Right. And if they want to abide by it, abide by it. If not, then, you know, move along, you know, bye. See ya. Now, obviously, Joe has a good point. Sometimes crazy doesn't pop up until you get into the inspection period and and emotions are flying and, and crazy starts going, hey, I'm here. Let's party. You know, <laughs> that can be challenging. But I think you just have to really, you know, that's when you need to pull out the more assertive you. And, you know, that's just, again, another as you would say, Steve, another uh, club in your golf bag, right? You know, you can yeah. be a nice salesperson, but sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta put the pimp hand out and give a little smack, you know. And you know, sometimes people just need to hear it. And uh, it's harder for that softer personality type, I think, to deliver that message and to really just set the the ground rules of interaction,
1: right? So yeah. Hey, Joe, come to think of it, our first transaction together, crazy popped out halfway through it. Gapoo Steel. Oh, man. Oh, that was a, that one was a brutal one. Brutal, yeah. Brutal.
2: Yeah, sorry about that. I I hate <laughs> going crazy on people.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, Sometimes crazy about, can't you be. You talking about me? <laughs> my seller, my seller. Okay, yeah. guys, let's, let's keep brutal. moving along. Let's keep moving along. Last one here. This was posted by Leslie Like. By the way, Leslie Like, good posts two in one day being talked about on Best of Masters. This was June sixth. It was. It says with fair regularity, it seems earnest money checks are deposited later than the agreed upon date in the contract. If you are the listing agent, do you request that the selling agent write an extension? If you are the buyer's agent, do you automatically provide that extension before it is requested? Why don't you go into that one, Joe?
2: Okay. So, yeah, I would request an extension. You never really want to be out of contract. That's the reason why our documents are so important, is to keep everything current and in contract. But you got to think about this one. A lot of people like to put three business days to get earnest money checks in. Deadlines are only relevant when you consider the longest contingency deadline, right? So you got, you know, earnest money checks have to be in in a certain time. You have you're out from seller's disclosure periods, which is a little longer. You have buyer's acknowledgement on the documents. You have your inspection period. Typically, the inspection period is the longest, anywhere from waived, I guess, in this market to like five calendar days to 10 business days. But inspection periods are usually the longest get out of jail free card. So why are we going to snub people on three business days to get these earnest money checks in? What I try and make a habit of doing is if it gets accepted on a Wednesday, I like to put five business days. And then I know next Wednesday is when the earnest money needs to get there. And I don't know if it's being dropped off mailed from far away, wired, I still have to get that escrow person's name and branch and address and all the contact stuff. So if you're the listing agent, don't shorten like a five business day earnest money to three business days and then sit back and bitch because it's late. I mean, be a little bit flexible with your timelines to make it within reason. So to answer that question, yes, if it were were late, I would probably write an extension. I would like to document it and then get the actual receipt. But, you know, on the listing side, if someone wanted six or eight business days to get it in, no big deal from me because they can back out in 10 business days from the inspection period anyway. So really, I just want it deposited before the end of the inspection period. And don't snub people on all time. I mean, 2016 is the year for timelines for appraisals, closing dates, lenders, everything. It just it takes a lot longer. Everyone has a lot of plates spinning and people have to be a little bit more understanding that things just kind of take time. So I would ask for flexibility on listing brokers and selling brokers. Make your best effort to get that in on time.
1: I totally agree, Joe. Here's kind of my take on this whole subject. First of all, yeah, it's a big deal. You're out of contract. And there's a thing we say around here. it's There's never a problem until there's a problem. In other words, more often than not, if you are out of contract and you miss that deadline, it's not a big deal. I'd say 99 out of 100 times. But that one time out of 100 where all of a sudden another offer came in right after they accepted yours and it's 10,000 more. You don't know that that happened. And if you're suddenly out of contract, that's the one time that by having this be an issue, there's a problem. So I agree with you on the timelines. I think it's important. I see no redeemable value in having it be three business days when it could be five business days. When we talked about this earlier, Joe, you made such a good point that you didn't mention just now. By having it be five business days, guys, unless there's a holiday in there, that is a nice, clean week. So everybody knows, hey, offer was accepted Wednesday. Wednesday. You got to have the earnest money in by Wednesday. If you have it be three business days, it's just not quite as clean as that. Everybody's doing a little bit of math and trying to figure things out. The last thing I'll say about this, I would venture that more of the time when this is an issue, it is because the agent is somehow playing a middle person role in taking that earnest money and getting it to escrow. In other words, all of us are really, really busy right now. Hopefully we are. Say an agent has 10 transactions going, and and by 10 transactions, I don't don't mean that they're closing 10 in one month, but say you've got three active listings, you've got two buyers in escrow, one listing in escrow, and you're talking to three or four more other people that you're going to list next month. Why would you take it upon yourself to say, hey, I'm going to be your courier? Let me come to your house or office, grab that check and then take it to escrow on your behalf. I get we want to give good customer service, but is that what we're really doing there? That client only has one transaction going, one transaction and one only. So just ask them, say, hey, in the next week, could you get this to this and such and such place? It's really important that you do so, Mr. Buyer, because if you don't, you will be out of contract and you could lose the home. How does that not work? I mean, in what scenario does that buyer not take it upon themselves? Even if they're an out of town buyer, they will go to a UPS store. They'll get, they'll write that one check. They'll put it in, in the envelope and they'll overnight it to escrow. They now become the guardian of that one transaction and this one important detail rather than you trying to do it for 10 different transactions. I drilled that into my team early on because there was some that had that mindset like, I want to give this great customer service that's going to somehow be better by me taking this on. But more often than not, it just causes problems. And it's inefficient for us. And it's not the best situation for the buyer. So I think that's a little helpful tip that we do in that regards. I think that's a good point. I'll
0: just make one small point to kind of cap off this topic in the episode is that uh, I have noticed that when earnest money comes in late or not on time, It can be a leading indicator for dealing with the other agent or the buyers in the transaction. And so that's how I look at it. I really don't care in terms of whether it's three days, five days, whatever. But I will say that those that are more prompt in getting it taken care of seem to be an easier transaction all the way through for whatever reason. And so it's
1: sloppiness. You're seeing early signs of sloppiness. Absolutely. Exactly.
0: So that's how I look at it. It's a leading indicator of how big of a pain in the ass people are going to be or not be moving forward.
1: Yep, yep. So, it sets a tone for their professionalism. I totally agree with that.
0: Yeah. So cool. Well, I think we covered some good ground today, guys. Yeah, Love we it. did. And we even got it in under fifty minutes. So this wow. is this is a first. We're we're wow. a, a well-oiled machine these days. <laughs> takes a lot of self-discipline, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So Cool. Well, Uh, I think we had a great episode, and we will be back next week, me and Steve. But, Joe, thanks for joining us again. We'll have you back here in uh, about another month, and we'll have uh, some other juicy topics to talk about, I'm sure.
1: Awesome. And, Joe, thanks for your filling in there a few weeks back. You did a fantastic job.
2: Well, not yeah. not good enough because uh, I didn't get the full time position.
0: <laughs> I did offer it to him on the side, but uh, he didn't want to overstep his bounds. So, you
2: know. yeah, he didn't want to
1: accept my salary.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. It's yeah, it's a whopping zero, right? So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey guys,
0: have a great week. Good episode. This is episode forty one. We'll see you guys next week.